Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Rob from Cigar Store Idiots. You may be asking yourself what Moonwalker Delta 8 is. Moonwalker is the industry leader in Delta 8 THC products, an emerging category pushing the boundaries of the cannabis plant. By expertly combining terpenes with complementary flavors, Moonwalker represents the absolute pinnacle of Delta 8 THC products, all engineered for pure bliss and joy. If you have any questions or concerns about the legality of Delta 8, please feel free to visit moonwalker.com backslash pages backslash legal. Uncertain times call for uncertain measures, and now more than ever, it's time to become prepared for the uncertainty that lies ahead. Hey, this is Rob from Cigar Store Idiots, and let me introduce you guys to Deluxe CCTV, Inc. They are the leading manufacturer and distributor of video and audio surveillance, hidden cameras, GPS trackers, anti-phone tapping devices, counter surveillance, and infidelity detection. Over the past 20 years, they've served over 500,000 customers worldwide. As the industry's trusted source in video surveillance, Deluxe CCTV, Inc. offers the latest technology and security solutions such as video surveillance, custom hidden cameras, GPS trackers, bug detectors, and integrated surveillance systems. Also, they have a full line of survival gear. In addition, Deluxe CCTV, Inc. has the largest selection of covert surveillance equipment available in North America at the market's most competitive prices. Complementing their extensive line of high-quality products, Deluxe CCTV Inc. offers industry-leading warranties and exceptional customer service that continues to set them apart from other competitors. Head on over to CigarStoreIdiot.com, hit the link, and use promo code CSIPOD01 and get started today. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Thank you, sir. May I have another? Thank you, sir. May I have another? Well, I left Kentucky back in 49 and went to Detroit working on assembly line. The first year they had me putting wheels on Cadillacs. Every day I'd watch them beauties roll by and sometimes I'd hang my head and cry. Cause I always wanted me one that was long and black. One day I devised myself a plan that should be the envy of most any man. I'd sneak it out of there in the lunchbox in my hand. Now, getting caught meant getting fired, but I figured I'd have it all by the time I retired. I'd have me a car worth at least a hundred grand. I'd get it one piece at a time, and it wouldn't cost me a dime. You'd know it's me when I come through your town. I'm going to ride around in style. I'm going to drive everybody wild. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, because we are subliminally trying to switch everybody over to listen to us, Cigar Store Idiots. I am Rob, and I have with me the one, the only, Vic Ferrari. How are you, sir? Hey, Rob. How's it going? Thanks for having me on your show. It's good, man. It's good. We got we got nice weather in the south. It's not getting cold yet, which I'm I'm excited about that because you know as we discussed a million times before, I'm not a fan of cold weather. So uh, so hopefully we can get some of those uh, maybe those San Diego temperatures uh, here pretty soon and start sleeping when the windows open and cooling the house off and all that good stuff. So how about you? What's been going on with you? What's new with you? 
Well, sunny Florida, it's still hot as hell, but it's a little less. The leaves are coming down. I've yeah. got five oak trees surrounding my house. So now it begins the nonstop sweeping up leaves yes. using a leaf vacuum and just it's a nasty, dirty business when you've got trees in your front yard. I didn't know. I don't know if you've seen this or not. I just watched maybe yesterday. There was a video. I think Florida got some kind of kooky weather. Uh, I don't know what side of, the, of uh, you know, if you're in the Gulf or you're on the other side. But uh, these people were in a hotel room and they're like the, the husband's video. And he's like, look, it's a water spout. And, and it's a it's a pretty damn big water spout. And uh, and his wife's standing. And she's like, I don't know. It looks like a tornado. And he goes, no, nah, it's a water spout. It'll it'll dissipate when it hits uh, when it hits land it'll dissipate. Nah, buddy, that thing turned into a damn tornado and started tearing shit up all over the place. And uh, it still amazes me that people stand on a balcony and try to film that, uh, film stuff like that. You get sucked right off the top of the balcony if it, if it got any closer. Oh, no, you, you're totally right. And, like, you know, I, growing up in New York City, we had crime. We didn't have major weather events. So when I moved down to Florida, um, you know, tornadoes and, and water spouts are foreign to me. About 10 years ago, I saw a water spout and scared the shit out of yeah. me. I'm just looking at this thing and I'm like, I was down by, I was like down by the beach and I'm like, can I outrun this thing? <laughs> like, what, do I go for shelter? Do I, do I try to get in my, my truck and drive a hundred miles an hour in the opposite direction of this thing? And thankfully it's just like, that guy said it didn't make landfall, but they do make landfall, and they and they can really cause you a lot of problems. Yeah, that thing was tearing all kinds of shit up. I mean, the the funny part I think was the, the wife's like she's you, know, you can tell she's super upset, and he's just trying to be all calm. Then he starts talking to her like she's stupid. He's like, it's just going to dissipate when it hits the land. When it hits land, it'll be fine. And then uh, she's like, oh my god, it's a tornado, and it's like tearing shit up all over the beach. And then it starts hitting these houses, and you can see stuff flying off of it. And he's like. Yeah, yeah, it's a tornado. Go, go, go. Get out of here. Get go get downstairs. <laughs> so Yeah, not always. Yeah. No, I'm not I'm not a big uh, fan of those. When I have my roofing business, I really like tornadoes though. Tornadoes and hail was uh was uh we call them like the hail was diamonds from the sky. So the bigger the better. So as long as you had a good insurance company. The last the last that you and I had talked um, the last episode you were on, which everybody absolutely loves, um, we when we last left off, you and I we were discussing that the whole international uh, Grand Theft Auto crime ring. Uh, there were were the uh, Audi, the black and silver or gray Audis were being stolen at twenty five to thirty a clip every month, and being shipped to China, and I couldn't believe it. Like I couldn't believe that there was a the, the crime ring was was international i had i mean i had no idea those things happened and then you had alluded to that there's you know you guys had talked about the dominican republic is the one that doesn't sink uh with all the stolen vehicles there so and that's kind of what uh i'd love to pick your brain on some of that tonight yeah um this is from my book grand theft auto the nypd's auto crime division the book i wrote it's loaded with 10 years worth of stories of auto theft from my days as a detective in that unit um, cars are stolen for a variety of reasons. You've got the, um, we call them like the pains in the ass, like junkies, heroin addicts, drug addicts. They steal cars to commit other crimes or they steal cars to get around. You know what I mean? They'll mm-hmm. get high, they'll sleep in the car or they'll go visit their mother or they just use, they, they fall in love with the car. Kids steal cars 
because it's a rite of passage. It's to look cool, to pick the girls up after school, to be seen by your friends, to go to a movie. Then you got the middle-level level car thieves. They steal for junkyards, chop shops. Some of them professional, some are just opportunists. You know, they get if, if the, the, the more they learn, the better they get at it. Then they start really working for these places, junkyards and stuff, and they'll take orders. You know, they'll, they'll put in orders for different cars. And, you know, the cars used to go straight to the chop shop. And the chop shop can be, like again, uh, a junkyard or, or uh, an auto parts place. As we start with the, with the inception of GPS and LoJack, the thieves got a little smarter. They started stripping cars on the street and then bringing the parts to these places. So if we got a search warrant, we wouldn't hit the mother load going into a place and find you know a couple of stolen cars getting cut up. So nowadays, cars they get they get cut up in someone's backyard and quickly the parts get dragged out of that, get at, dragged out of there and distributed. Or they'll find a place in the woods somewhere where they'll drive the car into the woods off a highway or a vacant lot where no one's around, there's not a lot of people there, and then they'll take the parts off it, and then they'll put it in a van or a truck, and then they'll drive it to its destination. Then you got the ones, the big money is in shipping. Every ethnic group in New York City is involved in it. Um, Like I said, we did a case where the cars were going to China. Which blows my mind. Blows my mind. All the islands. Jamaica, Antigua, we did cases with there. Um, some of the Eastern Bloc countries, um, our Queen's office did a case. I wasn't that involved with that one, but with motorcycles going to Hungary. So, mm. I mean, that must have traveled a, a lot. You know, uh, you know, the United States is, is a rich country, and there's a lot of other countries that want our toys. And, you know, they, they, they cherry-pick us. And... Um, one of the cases I did with shipping, we had an informant in the auto crime division. We used to call him the weatherman because he could get, he could he could tell you what it was like outside the weather. He just he had his finger to the pulse <laughs> of a lot of things. And one of the stories from my book is he calls us up on a Monday and he says, um, "I was out with Horatio this weekend." Now Horatio was a, a prolific car thief that are our informant used to hang around with. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, Horatio wanted to steal this Honda Accord. And he asked me to give him a lift. And I said, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're not supposed to get involved in him. He goes, well, just, just hear me out. He goes, we're going down the West side highway. And we see Mike Tyson riding down the West side highway, driving a Ducati. And Ducati at the time was a 30,000, probably worth a lot more money. Oh, now, yeah, but at yeah. the time, Ducati is a $30,000 Italian motorcycle. So I said, well, what did you do? He goes, well, we followed him to the Javits Center, which is a convention center in, in downtown Manhattan on the west side. He goes, we watched him go into this, con- I don't know if it was a car show or a trade show, but Mike Tyson was attending. He parked his motorcycle on the street. These two guys stole his motorcycle. Well, Horatio stole the motorcycle. He drove it up to Washington Heights, and Horatio lived in a first-floor apartment, and he drove the motorcycle into the first-floor apartment. Him and his friend got it in there. So I said, What's the apartment number? We're going to get a search warrant and hit the place. So our informant tells us, well, you might want to hold off on that. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, he's got like three motorcycles in his apartment. I said, so all the more reason for us to hit the apartment. He goes, right. well, if you wait, he goes, if you wait, he's going to ship them to the Dominican Republic. You can get probably a lot more stuff. So I said, all right. No way. Said, give us a call. Give us a call the next time when that bike's going to move. So I'll never forget it. It's a Sunday. I'm watching football. It's the dead of winter. My partner calls me up 
and this is months after, because I think Tyson's motorcycle got stolen. If memory serves me correctly, it was like this time of year, like the end of the summer. So now it's like November. Forgot all about this thing. So they're just sitting and, on it. Uh, yeah, well, I, we were just so busy with so many different things. Gotcha. And um, uh, my partner calls me up on a Sunday because we want to make overtime. I was off and I go, what's up? He goes, remember those motorcycles Horatio stole? I said, yeah. He goes, they're leaving the country tonight. And I go, oh, you got a name of the, do you have the shipping container number and the shipper? He goes, well, they're not being shipped the way you think on a crew, on a, on a ship. He goes, they're being airlifted. I said, no shit. He goes, yeah. He goes, they're going to, there's, there's a, a freight, a, an air freight place that, that ships things to the Dominican Republic. They're going to bring it out there tonight. So sure enough, Everybody goes out to the airport to the shipping location. Who shows up but Horatio and a couple of his pals with a stolen van? Mm. So they stole a van, and they what they had done was Horatio taken all those motorcycles in his apartment, and one by one they did, they took the bikes apart, wrapped them in bubble wrap, and put them in, in crates. And they were gonna and they were inside the van, and they were gonna get airlifted to the Dominican Republic. So needless to say, Horatio and his friends all got locked up at this shipping location just outside of Kennedy Airport. Now, the funny thing about Horatio was, Horatio continued to steal motorcycles and, and, and cars, and but Horatio got killed in the Dominican Republic, and we found this out from our informant. What he used to do was, he would ship back, you know, all these cars and motorcycles back to his homeland, and he was making a killing on the money, and then he would go back from time to time. He had property out there, and then, you know, he would drive around on his toy, which was all stolen from the Bronx in Manhattan. Well, him and his friends were riding on motorcycles, probably all stolen from the Bronx. And the roads, they were very narrow. And a car came around a bend and hit one of his friend's motorcycle and sent it backwards. And his friend's motorcycle decapitated Horatio. No way. So, so what hap- winds up happening is in front of his building in Washington Heights, the residents, you know, they liked the guy because he was getting in stolen cars and motorcycles. They had like a little shrine in front of his building, like, you know. Like, you know, a, um, like the Mother Teresa or Lady Guadalupe. Yeah, yeah. Like lit <laughs> so crazy. So, but the funny thing is, like, after a while, the cops got sick of it and started breaking up, breaking up the shrine. You know, it was out there for about a week and someone complained. So the cops went to, to break up the shrine. And then the residents went wild. You had a little mini riot. And I said, look at this. Saint, you know, Saint Horatio was causing problems from outside the grave, you know, from the grave. Unbelievable. Yeah, but, but shit like that used to happen all the time with these guys. They, they, they just used to ship so much stuff. You had Africans were doing it, the Nigerians. What they would do is they would put a stolen car in the front of a shipping, well, in the back of a shipping container. And then, you know, these countries are poor. So they would fill these shipping containers with shit that we throw out, like old refrigerators, old washing machines. They'll fix those things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Over there or, you know, even if they work, you know, you're like, what would I do with a five-year-old washing machine? Well, it's going to Nigeria. So what they would do is the stolen car goes in the front of the container and then they load it up with all this crap so that when you, you know, if someone flags that container or a customer decides, you know what, we're going to crack this one open just to take a peek. You got to do some work. Yeah, and they're not—they're like, not—they're not wanting to do that. They're not wanting to move all that shit around. I guarantee you, that's that's how they probably got a lot of not them out. Really, custom, well, unfortunately, customs is more, and I get it because it boils down to manpower. It's not their fault, but unfortunately, customs is more focused on what's coming into the country. Mm-hmm. 
not what's going out. Right. But they do, to their credit, they do pick off a lot of stuff. And a lot of times, a lot of this stuff is based on tips from law enforcement. But I can tell you, I've been in those shipping containers in the dead of winter. It's hot as balls in those things. It's like you got bed bugs crawling all <sighs> over you because this thing is stuck with mattresses. And you're like, oh, oh it's my not going to pain a heart. And then if you find something stolen in that container, it's a fucking nightmare to get all that crap out to get the car or cars out. Yeah. How many, how many motors? I mean, I know you were talking about how they had, uh, when they were still in the Audis and they were sending those out and they had a great way to build inside those containers to put multiple cars in there. How many motorcycles were we talking about moving in? A, like if they're moving in a container, a shipping container, I think you could get a lot of them in there. Yeah, you can. And I mean, if, 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 you know, if it's just morons that are just going to drive them in there and don't give a shit if they get banged around in there, you know what I mean? Yeah. That happens. I've seen that where they just kind of piled on top of each other. And what they'll do is they'll put a couple of ones that aren't stolen and surround the stolen one. But sometimes like with cars and motorcycles, they'll change the vehicle identification numbers and they're not going to do a really good job. They just want to get it that someone at customs or someone that works at the shipping company doesn't realize that it's like a Mylar sticker or something stuck over the original VIN number. They took the original VIN number out. Oh, you could fit a shitload of, I mean. Like crotch rockets? You take the bikes apart and put them in crates. You yeah. You a lot of them in there. Yeah. Man, I never thought about just that they would just break them down. I mean, it makes sense, but it's just so much more work. But I guess it's it's, it's a little less risky for them to get caught maybe. I don't know. Depends on the operation. I mean, most of them are lazy. Most of the time they don't do that, but I have seen it. And it depends on the country where it's going to. If the country, like the Dominican Republic, is like the wild. I hate to say it. And I know I'm going to catch shit for this, <laughs> but like, that it's got to be the wild. I've never been, so maybe I shouldn't say, but from just my experience, like, you know, with, with the, guy, the guys that we were going after, it's like, they just put stuff in shipping containers and, Sometimes I was told from my informant, sometimes the customs officials over there would take the goodies for themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I'm sure You, you know happens. what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, you know federal rallies get first crack at what comes out of that container. Um, I'm sure countries like that one, that case where the motorcycles were going to Hungary, I do remember from, uh, those bikes were taken apart and wrapped up and shipped as something else. So if the country is legit and has law enforcement doing their due diligence, I'm sure they, they go the extra steps to protect their investment that it doesn't get discovered on the other side. Right. I know you and I are huge baseball fans, and uh, I'm, I was really good friends. Uh, I, I mean, I still am. A gentleman, he used to work with the Atlanta Braves organization. He was a scout, and they had to go to the DR multiple times to go watch you know, players that they were trying to you know scout for the Braves. And he said when they got there, uh, I was like, man, you're living the life. That sounds awesome. He goes, no, it's really scary as hell. And I was like, and he was like, what do you mean it's scary? And he goes, well, the hotel is right near the baseball stadium there, and all the good players they play at that one specific baseball stadium, so they keep it pretty. It's pretty central located. He said, but when we get there, they tell everybody wear the worst t-shirt you have, the raggedest pair of shoes, no jewelry, no watches, no nothing. And then they actually would escort these guys from the hotel, uh, military with machine guns escort them to from the hotel to the game and let them watch the game and then as soon as the game was over they would escort them back to the hotel you know like fully armed you know military fatigues all that good stuff and uh he said because if the right person over there thinks you have money and they they think they know you're working for a major league baseball organization they'll kidnap your ass and hold you for ransom 
Oh, well, look at it this way. You can't, no one is more iconic in the Dominican Republic than Big Poppy, right? Right. right. And he got lit up over there. I mean, I think it was over some baby's mama drama, Mm -hmm. if memory serves me correctly. But I mean, he got fucking shot multiple times, if you say to yourself. I mean, if that guy wanted to run for president of that country. He's DR royalty. Win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's Dominican royalty. So if that could happen to him, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. And I can attest. I don't know. From I can, what I remember, it was the Wild West. I can attest to this. Um, I have not been to the DR, but I have been to Puerto Rico. And if they say that the roads and the driving situation is is very similar, which is probably one of the most terrifying uh, times of my life is driving back and forth on those roads for two weeks. So it doesn't surprise me a bit that somebody lost their head in a car wreck. Not at all. Well, it couldn't have happened to a better guy. <laughs> right. Horatio a couple of times. He, he just did. kept getting out. He was, oh, he was just like one of these, there was a couple of cartes that, I mean, we did cases on. Another guy is this guy, Mario Lopez, who was involved in that case with the, um, the Audis going to, going to China. But I mean, we were on this guy's phone on a wiretap and it was like, how does this fucking guy sleep? Like, I never saw somebody more dedicated to their job. He was going, while well, we were on that case on his phone, right? In addition to stealing those cars, for the Chinese. I mean, he was just, I mean, after we took down that case, it was just so many different uh, tentacles to look at mm-hmm. because he was just affiliated. He was stealing to so many different people. Like in my book, there's a story about we're on his phone. We're up on a wiretap. He's in the car with his girlfriend going to her uncle's funeral. You know, it's, it's in the morning and he makes her stop because he sees a Nissan Maxima with Bose speakers that he's got an order from. He needed a black Audi with both speakers. I guess they were going to tag it, change the vehicle identification number. And what he did was he jumped out of the car, stole the Maxima, went to the funeral with the Maxima, and then afterwards delivered it you know, after New Jersey. So, you know, I mean, you talk about dedication. And she and you had to hear him laughing on the phone. He goes, yeah, my girlfriend was a little upset, but what are you going to do? You know, I couldn't let that go. Now, these guys so, have some balls I mean, on them. Oh, I don't know how this guy walked. Like they clang, you know <laughs> what I mean? Dragging like he, he was the real deal. Oh yeah. He, well, he got, we got him out of jail and he, he was involved in a lot of the homicides on that case. He was the wheel man on, on a shitload of homicides with this guy, Fausto Gonzalez. And, um, you know, when he got caught, he started dealing because, you know, he knew he could go away from murder too. You know, if you're, if, if you're the getaway driver, in a homicide, you know, you're, you're just as guilty as the guy right. that pulled the trigger. So he, you know, he, he started cooperating immediately and started telling all these stories that he was the wheel man for this homicide and that homicide. Um, they killed this guy, Fausto Gonzalez. What they would do is they would go around, like when they want to steal motorcycles, they would go around Manhattan, about five or six, seven of these guys, all killers, by the way. Most of them are in jail for homicide now, different murders. And they would drive around Manhattan and they'd see you stopped at a light on your bike and they'd all pull up alongside you in front of you to the side of you. Hey, how's it going? Get the fuck off. And this guy, Fausto Gonzalez, would get off one of the motorcycles and get the fuck off that bike. And if you didn't get off that bike fast enough, he'd shoot you. No way. And it happened so fast most of the time that nobody even knew they took the guy's bike. Like, you know, you and your friend are at a light and eight guys pull up alongside you, you know, and, and get off the bike. 
you know, you got a gun pointing at you. What are you going to do? It's a no-brainer. You get, get off, off the bike, the bike. The takes off, and you're standing there with right. a helmet on your head, no motorcycle. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the insurance will cover that. They, uh, but they can't, they can't yeah. put well, you back should... together after you got 17 bullet holes in you. They killed this nightclub owner in lower Manhattan, and nobody knew if it was a hit. You know what I mean? Because the guy, the guy owned a nightclub, so immediately everybody thinks organized crime, which the guy wasn't. And you know, it took a while. To, but then after we got this guy Mario, he gave up that homicide. There was another um, one that a guy almost got killed. Mario and Fausto up in Can- so if you go up I ninety five, which is like. There's a town called Greenwich, Connecticut. It's about 15 miles out of New York City. All rich people live there. You got a lot of hedge funds there. So what these guys did was they saw this guy with a Porsche they really wanted. So they followed this guy and they figure out that this guy works for a hedge fund. And every day he parks this Porsche in this parking garage off of I-95. So what they do is they steal a van and they park it in the parking garage next to this guy's parking space. Guy comes into work. Parks his Porsche. As he's getting out, as he's getting out of his Porsche, Mario and Fausto are waiting for him with with um, motorcycle helmets on, so he can't identify him. Point the gun. Give us the keys. He gives him the keys. They um, they tie him up, duct tape him, and they throw him in the back of the stolen van. And they take off with his Porsche and leave him in the parking garage in the back of the stolen van. Wow. So these these guys they were into a lot of things, you know, not just stolen cars, but they were doing armed robberies and homicides. And they, I'm sure those areas too is probably thick with, uh, like you said, hedge funds and things like that. They probably preyed on those people because, I mean, honestly, I mean, if you want to get down to brass tacks about it, most of those, most of those guys are a little soft, so they're easy targets, you would think. Um, so I, I would, I mean, it's just me; it's just my opinion. I think that those the criminal uh, mind would probably, uh, I guess, kind of just sit and wait on those guys to pull up in their nice cars or their nice motorcycles. And it was just easy, easy pickings for them probably. Well, there's a st- Well, the thing is, yeah, well, these guys would go to affluent neighborhoods. They would go into Manhattan, nice parts of Manhattan. They would go out to New Jersey. They would go to Connecticut. They go where the money is. But the, in, in the, in my book, Grand Theft Auto, there's a story in there about these guys. And what they would do is they were stealing so many motorcycles and cars for so many different people. It was a couple of cops that worked in a precinct that they had befriended and the cops knew they were thieves and this actually came up on that wiretap what these guys would do is they would get you know if, if the cop blew the motor on his motorcycle or something these guys would get him another motor or a helmet or fairings for his bike so what the cops would do is these two dirtbag cops would is if these guys saw a guy with a car that they wanted to steal and it was broad daylight they didn't have the tools to steal or whatever they would write down the license plate number and give it to these two cops. And what these cops would do is they would run the plate and uh, way to go. No way. So, yeah, these guys knew that this guy lived in Long Island and this guy lived in upstate New York. And that's how they found a lot of their cars for these two cops who were, were um, they got fired after we took down that case. I'm sure they got, I'm sure they, um, they were not a favorite when they went to jail uh, in general population. Or did they go to jail to one of those? They, they go what? country this club jail. Years ago, I I don't know if they were arrested. I think I they only did it a couple of times, and their story was. I mean, it's not for us to decide. It was for the district attorney right. in that case. Right. 
their story was they didn't know these guys were into all this shit, and that didn't really come up on the wiretap, so it was kind of like a judgment call. But I do know they lost their jobs, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so crazy. That is wild. That it's and it, it we we cover a lot of uh, like true crime stuff too. We do a lot of podcast episodes on on things like that. It's amazing to see how many times that uh, the police are involved uh, and they're involved in the wrong way. I mean, you see it a lot, unfortunately. It happens. You know, I mean, New York City Police Department at any given time is between thirty-five and 40,000 members. So you're going to get bad apples from time sure. to time. And the sad thing is, like, I didn't, I didn't want to believe it. I never, you know, really saw it until later in my career. And then you go, you, you're working in organized crime and you're going up on these wiretaps. And it, it, <laughs> whenever we go up on a wiretap, some cop, you know, either out of sheer stupidity or knew what he was doing or she was doing would wander onto the playing field. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Either get arrested or, or lose their job. You know what I mean? Because they're rubbing elbows with a criminal element. I think they're attracted to it. I think some people are just attracted to that lifestyle. Yeah. Like mobsters and things like that. I mean, it's, uh, it, but you know, it, it's, it's a true saying. Once you're in, you're in for life. And that don't mean you're going to live a long time, but you in there, you in it for life. Once you do one bad deal or you get involved one time, that's all it takes. And then you're there forever. So other situations that we were we were talking about too. Um, how do you, like what what all transpires? So you've got the the group of guys that are selling the motorcycles and they're sending them to Hungary. Like, how do you do you get the the other countries involved to pick these, or is it just dead once you capture them in the United States for stealing out of the United States? Does it die there or does it go forward into their country and, and, and try to make some arrests there? Does their country fool with it or do they just... Or, depends on the country. It, it, it really depends on the country. Like the Dominican Republic, you're not calling them. No, there. yeah. <laughs> you're not sure if they're even going to pick up. Yeah. Um, it's like, wrong number. <laughs> the country, I'll, I'll tell you a wild story. Before I retired, this fugitive wanted by the U.S. Marshals. I can't think of his name. He's wanted for years. He's a, a professional burglar. And, um, he, you know, he basically vanished off the face of the earth. And uh, I was working with the Fugitive Task Force because I had a snitch that basically was giving me guys that had been previously deported out of the country and had snuck back in and were committing crimes. So my snitch would tell me where to find them. We would pick them up with the feds, and then they would do five years. If you're deported, well, things have changed. But if you're, if you're deported for a federal crime, so you rob a bank and you're from the Dominican Republic, after your jail sentence, you're deported to the Dominican Republic. If you return to the United States, you're stepping foot in the United States and you're a convicted felon of a federal crime, you have to do five years in jail. Yeah. You come back again, that's 10 years and so on and so forth. Now, obviously, the way our border thing right now Ugh, is going on. I'm I was sure about to say that's a, that's a fucking yeah, mess yeah, right let's now. Yeah, I not even get into that because I got too many auto theft stories, but this guy well anyway there was this guy in the federal task force who worked at the u.s marshals or i think and he said you know this guy he's been the bane of my existence i can't find this guy well i found his girlfriend and we were able to grab the girlfriend who was here illegally she was from another country i forget what country she was from and threatened with deportation she said He's, he's living in Belgium. We're like, what? Huh. He's living in Belgium. Like, yeah, like, that'd be the last place we'd look for somebody in Belgium. And 
was he like working in a chocolate factory? <laughs> he said, no, he, he's living in Belgium. So what we were able to do is we reached out to the Belgium. Oh, she gave us a mail drop. She didn't even have a phone number for this guy. She just had like a post office drop. So we reached out to, I think it was an Antwerp, and the Belgium cop sat on this post office box and spotted him picking up his mail. But the thing is, in Antwerp, they were having this thing of high-end burglaries of jewelry and you know rich people's homes get knocked over. So they put the guy under surveillance in Belgium. Well, sure enough, they catch him doing a fucking high-end burglary in Belgium. He goes to jail for a couple of years in Belgium, and they ship him back to the United States. And I think he's still in jail for a couple of things over here. So, yeah, it depended on the country. You know what I mean? Right. Like if you were going to work a case, it just depends depended on the country if we had if our state department because we would reach out to our state department which would tell us yeah we, i got a contact you who's not going to burn you or don't even fucking bother you know what i mean mm-hmm. he, um i i had a case with a diplomat that was driving around with a stolen mercedes in manhattan so i get a phone call from um it was mercedes i get a call from the director of um security from the BMW dealership in lower Manhattan. And he says, um, I got this car that came in and, you know, we plug it into our computer. The VIN number doesn't compute. We reach out to Germany. And from the records in Germany, they say that this car was manufactured in France and it was stolen in France. I said, all right. I says, um, let me come down. So, uh, the car's already gone. So we set up, we set up a thing where, the dealership calls this guy up and says, yeah, bring it back. Well, oh, I know what it was. The guy had to come back like a week later. So I'm waiting outside the dealership waiting for this car to drive up so I can count. And it's got diplomatic plates on it. I'm like, shit, this changes everything. So I watched the guy go inside, middle-aged guy. He actually looked like the um, the bass player for um, for U2, that guy, Adam Clayton. Yeah. Middle-aged guy, horn-rimmed glasses, skinny jeans. Looked like a looked like a looked like a foreigner, and he was with this hot female girl. She was like in her twenties. She was wearing a chinchilla coat, mini skirt, but pregnant. Like she looked like she was going to give birth at any minute. Yeah. So I watched them leave. I watched them leave the dealership, and then I go with the mechanics and I uh, and and this guy from security, and I go, listen, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. You got to give me some time. I, I got to go through the proper channels. So. They give the car back to the guy later in the day. He doesn't know I'm onto this. I call up the State Department. I says, listen, I need help with this. So they said, all right, um, I, I wanted to steal the car back. I was just going to get a key bag and go, listen, I, I might not be able to lock up a diplomat, but I can sure as hell take that car back. And they're like, oh, please don't. You're going <laughs> to start an international incident. No Let shit. Into it. So after 9-11, the NYPD has detectives and, and and supervisors all over the world in major cities doing counterterrorism in these countries where they think there's, you know, there's a threat. So we had a, we had a, an NYPD sergeant working in France, in Paris, doing terrorism. So I reached out to the sergeant and I said, listen, I need the paperwork on this to find out, A, is this car really stolen? B, if it is stolen, how is it stolen? Who owns this car? Is, is an insurance company own this car? There's a private owner own this car? And how the fuck did this car get shipped to the United States? Like, how is that even possible? A stolen car from France. Long story short, I get to the bottom of it. The car was taken in a home invasion in France. An insurance company owned it. And somehow, some way, that stolen car in France, that Mercedes, turns up in a country called Cote d'Ivoire, which is right next to Nigeria and Africa. How it got there, I'll never know. Well, 
his diplomat, well, he really wasn't a diplomat. He was married to a diplomat from the island of Vanatu. So you got all sorts of international shit going here. The way that car, that stolen car in Africa, got to the United States, it was shipped in an international diplomatic shipping container, came into New York. No one looks at the thing because it's, it's, it's under the diplomatic flag of a country. Right. And this dirtbag is driving around with it. So what the State Department does is they call up and they say, listen, it's come to light that, you know, your husband's in possession of the stolen Mercedes. We're asking you to bring it in. So she's like, you know, no problem, you know. So I'm there at, the state, at, at um, this consulate. She brings in the car, and it's a middle-aged. It's not the same woman I saw that was pregnant. This is an older woman, middle-aged, very nice. Um, she goes, oh, my husband got this call. He's doing business in Africa. I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. <laughs> yeah, what like, kind of business was he doing? How he, right. But she, oh, I don't know. He does international business. I have no idea. He's an international so criminal. Yeah, can we talk to your husband? Well, he's out of the country. I said, all right. So I was just happy to get the car back. Yeah. So I get this Mercedes back. The insurance company sends a company to pick it up at our precinct, and it gets shipped back to France. So I'm like, all right. I don't get to arrest anybody, but I get this car back. I screw this guy over. About three weeks later, um, one of my friends goes, hey, there's some English jerk off on the phone, and he's cursing up a storm. He wants to talk to you. <laughs> I said, all right, put him on. So it's the guy, right? He's like, he's got this English accent. He's like, you had no right to take my car. I was out of the country. Basically, the wife probably confronted him and he's pounding his chest yeah. in front of the wife. Sure. He's threatening me. You created an international incident. We're going to get that car back. And I want your name and who are you? And I go, you hey, was let like, me ask you something. Come downtown like and let's talk been, about it. <laughs> I, no, I can't arrest him. Oh, he's got right, diplomatic right. immunity because he's married to a diplomat. So I go, let me ask you a question. I said, did your wife have the baby? And you could have heard a fucking pin drop. And I go, yeah. You're done the talking at that point. The woman with the coat that you were, you were kissing and <laughs> oh walking God. around the dealership. That's not the same woman that, that gave up the Mercedes. He goes, he goes, thank you for your time. <laughs> that motherfucker couldn't have gotten off the phone fast enough because he had a girlfriend that had a kid. Hilarious. And he no, I never heard from that fucking guy again. I bet you didn't. I bet you. It's a wonder uh, you didn't have to go pick up a dead body at his house. Uh, and it was his. <laughs> so, so just to break that back, you have a Mercedes Benz that was put together, built in France, stolen. Stolen in France. Stolen in Somehow France. Somehow made its way to Africa. It's in Africa. Shipped from Africa to the United States. Then and shipped to the States. Driving it around. And a diplomat's driving. So diplomat's rights. I, I, hadn't, I didn't know anything about that. That's a, that's a new one on me too. So so a diplomat can come over here and just fuck around and not get in trouble? Or how does that work? Yeah. Unbelievable. You can't arrest them. Once, once, once their credentials have been verified, you, you cannot detain them. They're untouchable. Who can detain them? Yeah. If it just say something crazy uh, happens, or do they automatically between the countries? It's got to be worked out between the countries, and usually the United States, because we've got because a lot of these diplomats are spies. Mm-hmm. So and sure. we do the same thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. We do the same thing. A lot of people from the State Department and stuff. The CIA is is, is with them. So. We don't want our people getting picked off and right. fucked with in their country, and they don't want their people fucked with in our country. We did a case. There was a case in my office. It wasn't my case, but there was a case in my office where they were cloning cars. Mm-hmm. So 
we're taking pictures of a vineyard. So say you got a cousin in San Diego. You tell him, do me a favor, take a picture, go find a Cadillac Escalade and take a picture of a VIN number. Your cousin sends you that VIN number. You have somebody that's a printer that, that prints up a VIN kit, which is the door sticker, the VIN number. You go out and steal that, that Cadillac Escalade, and then you mask it with the VIN numbers that you've created from that car in San Diego. So those are listening out there. If you Carfax, you're going to go buy a car, and you Carfax, and you see that that car is currently titled in more than one place. It's a clone. Call the police. Don't buy the fucking car. You're going to buy a stolen car. Same as if you go and call Carfax something and the car has been bounced around several states. That's called title washing. That means there's something wrong with that car. There's a salvage on it or it's stolen and they're trying to get something off it. So the car's never left one area. The paperwork is being bounced around states because not, not every state looks at that title it doesn't really scrutinize that title. So right. if you go on Carfax and a car is three, four years old and it's been in four or five states, stay away from it. How prevalent is that? Is there is is that happening? I can I could see that being All a huge time. problem. Yeah. So they're just they're just bouncing titles around from state to state, just kind of I guess to throw people off. And I can't believe these these yeah. car these car companies like Title Max is it? Is, did you say CarMax, Title Max? Just just not specifically them but an, an operation like that they would sell a car they would sell that car unknowing that it was a stolen car yeah they know oh they know oh yeah see see we're all learning something here today every day so um i just can't i, I guess you know every time we talk you, you you bring up something that i have didn't have any idea that it was is a thing but uh the whole diplomatic uh Getting a free pass. I mean, I guess it's, you know, they're turning a blind eye and we are too. Just letting them run amok in the countries and, and do whatever as long as our people don't get in trouble. It's crazy to me. That's exactly. insane. That's insane to me. So, well, Vic, before you get out of here, my friend, please tell everybody again where we can get your books. And, uh, and I wanted to ask you, do you have any, you have anything in the future in the pipeline, something you might be, uh, writing right now? Yeah, so I've written six books, four about the New York City Police Department. Um, I'm writing another NYPD book now as we speak, but I don't have a title for it. It's just stories from my past. And the, the book that we're talking about today is Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD Auto Crime Division. It's about 230 pages filled of stories of car thieves, sophisticated scams. I mean, there's more car thieves in there. and. I'll tell you one more quick story. Sure. One time we were following this junkie, and um, my partner and I were betting on if he was going to break into a car, and the guy sits on a bench, and he looks like he's flicking something at the window, just lightly. And the next thing I know, he sticks his head in the car window, and, and he's into the car, and I go, I didn't hear glass break, and I didn't see him throw anything. <laughs> so we roll up, we lock him up, he's inside the car, he's trying to break the ignition. In, in his pockets, he's got like little broken pieces of spark plugs. What the fuck is this? So he was a heroin addict going through withdrawal, and he wanted his methadone. I said, I can't get your methadone, I said, but I can give you a soda. A lot of times when these guys start going to withdrawal, if you give them enough sugar, that'll put off the withdrawal for a while. Mm. He goes, if you buy me a soda, I'll tell you. I go, all right. Sounds like a good deal to me. Bought him a soda. He goes, they're ninja rock. What the fuck is a ninja rock? He goes, if you flick broken pieces of spark plugs at tempered glass, he goes, it'll crack. It won't even make a noise. Really? So... Yeah, so that that's one way 
you know, so if you see somebody breaking up spark plugs or they're just lightly flicking something at the side of a window, yeah, that's what they call it. It's a tool used to break into cars, broken pieces of spark plugs for ninja rock. Never. That's in my book, too. You're not going to learn how to steal a car from my book, <laughs> but there's a lot of phrases and terms in the way people steal cars. But all my books are available on Amazon. If you just go into Amazon, go into books and type in my name, Vic, V-I-C, Ferrari like the car, you can check out my books. Man, I cannot thank you enough uh, for coming in and telling these stories. I absolutely love them, and everybody that uh, all our listeners are enjoying them as well. I wish you nothing but uh, a great rest of your week, and I look forward to talking to you again soon, buddy. Thanks a lot, Rob. Have a good week. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you very much. All right. Goodbye. Well, I left Kentucky back in 49 and went to Detroit working on assembly line. The first year they had me putting wheels on Cadillacs. Every day I'd watch them beauties roll by and sometimes I'd hang my head and cry because I always wanted me one that was long and black. One day I devised myself a plan that should be the envy of most any man. I'd sneak it out of there in the lunchbox in my hand. Now, getting caught meant getting fired, but I figured I'd have it all by the time I retired. I'd have me a car worth at least a hundred grand. I'd get it one piece at a time, and it wouldn't cost me a dime. You know it's me when I come through your town. I'm gonna ride around in style, I'm gonna drive it.